Jesus saved me when I was 10 years old, but there have been multiple periods throughout my life where I stopped seeking Jesus and I started seeking things of the world, frankly. I was so unprepared to face normal obstacles in life that the only way that I was able to cope was just by drinking. I took my marriage through, through some pits of fire um, just with the way that I would cope with my own sin, with other people's sin. I had two little girls. My first little girl was born, and I'm pretty sure that I was drunk the moment she came out. Things went downhill. Um, my wife tried to divorce me, and I knew at that moment that if I didn't, begin to choose Jesus every day. I was about to lose everything that was near and dear to me. I knew that God had a purpose for me, but God's purpose was going to be fulfilled with or without me. And I wanted to be a part of it. The call to action that God gave me was to stand up and never stop moving towards me again. Like Christians can get sucked into this hole of, I'm okay where I am, let's stay here. I'm like, no, that's not okay because you know what? Like sitting down makes you complacent. And the next thing you know, if you're not working on your relationship with Jesus, you're working on your relationship with sin. If you struggle in this life right now with addiction, pain, hurt, guilt, shame, and all the things that sin brings about, Stand up and you need to move now. Jesus set me free and I am all in. I love how God works. Amen. If it wasn't for the gospel, we wouldn't be here. And if we were here apart from the gospel. This would be the most bizarre thing we could do on a Sunday morning. Jesus changes everything. Either Jesus is everything or he's nothing. I think that's something we just need to come to terms with, is that there's no halfway with Jesus. He doesn't just take parts. It's kind of an all or nothing type of deal. And I think that's why this is such a timely season for us as a church to kind of come back to the roots, come back to the foundation and say, what are we all about? Like, what are we doing as a church? And so the next six weeks, we're going to be in a series that we're calling All In. And All In is one of our values. And this is going to be a season for us as a church to kind of calibrate, recommit, focus again on our mission and our calling to be simply all about Jesus. Because church, quite frankly, the world around us is extremely lost. It's extremely dark. Very polarized, full of opinions, and people trying to be gods in their own eyes. And really, in a lot of ways, we're kind of facing this judges scenario like in the Old Testament book where everybody's doing what's right in their own eyes. And we've been called as the church of Jesus Christ to be the salt and light of this world. And we need to kind of hone in and focus in and to be the movement of Jesus Christ in Austin, Texas, along with other God-fearing churches. 
We need to saturate the city. We need to saturate the region and the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to be doing that by developing disciples who are going to be extremely intentional about investing their lives into other people so that the emerging generations will be captivated by Jesus. We need to be very aware of the world around us right now. And when we look at Austin, Texas, we see a demographic that's becoming millennial and younger by like 60%. Is that me? That's three weeks in a row. (laughs) We're on a... Check, check, check. There we go. We know from statistics that the millennial generation and younger are the largest generation that we ever had, also the least church generation we have. Gen Z and younger are the most biblically illiterate generation. And what we're doing is shaping the young minds of our younger generations and leaders and future leaders by really focusing so much more on things that divide politics, yada, yada, yada. But the reality is we as a church need to focus in with the message of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to be in this series called All In. And I know the temptation when we start using the phrase all in, and we felt it as a staff is we don't want to be heavy-handed, and we don't want to make the church feel like, hey, we need you to step up your game, and we need you to serve, and we need you to this. Like, yeah, those are all true, but those are all byproducts of being all in on Jesus, which is what we really want for you. We want you to be captivated by Jesus. And so when we talk about being all in, yes, we're going to be asking you to come to the table with predetermined yes, hands open. Not because we as the church and we as the staff at Austin Oaks Church need you, but because the gospel is our responsibility to bring forward in this world as salt and light. So when we talk about all in, we're going to be challenging you to learn how to be captivated, how to be conquered by the love of Christ. And what comes as a result from that? We live by faith. We don't live by sight. And I want us to understand this because I want you to grab hold of, if you haven't before, the power and the simplicity and the beauty of being all about Jesus. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn with me to two sections. First John chapter 5, that's towards the end of your Bible, and then 2 Corinthians. In 1 John chapter 5, there's a verse in verses 4 and 5 that I want to kind of like just share with you, because this has been working on my heart this week. And I've been thinking a lot about this as it relates to this series, as it relates to the time and season that we are in as a church. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Just, just grab hold of some of these words. For everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. This is those who profess faith in Jesus, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, if we don't read verse 5, we can read that and start to think that this notion of being a conqueror or an overcomer is completely dependent upon me and my quantity of faith or my quality of faith, the things that I do. We need to understand clearly that it has nothing to do with the quantity or the quality of your faith. 
Because your faith in of yourself or in your own efforts or in your own faith, as it were, can't overcome anything. It's in who your faith is in. Because that's what the next verse starts to talk about. Well, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So I want you to hear clearly that when we talk about being all in, when we start talking about being more than a conqueror, when we start talking about victory and, and being led in Christ's triumphal procession, it has everything to do with who we are attaching our faith to, not yourself. It's not faith in your own faith. It's not how hard you believe or how much work you do. It's faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what overcomes the world. And I love what Pastor Seth said, is that our only victory is in the blood of Christ. You, you can't gain victory. Like, you, you're not going to be victorious. Only Jesus is, and we believe in his victory. So therefore, we are victorious because he's victorious. So that's what I, we need to talk about this morning. And it's by being all in. It's how we're going to see this vision through. It's by being all in and coming to the table with the predetermined yes and saying, Jesus, I want to be captivated by your love. Jesus, I want to be chained to you and to your heart. Like, it's only going to be by that are we going to be able to reach that next generation. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a hyper-competitive person. I fiercely hate losing. Even if I'm like playing a game with one of you and you don't really know me, I'll put on a nice face and I'll act like losing's not a big deal, but inside of me, you gotta understand, I'm not liking it if I am losing. And I don't lose, just for that reason, exactly. I hate losing, I hate the word defeat, I hate the word capitulation, I hate the word surrender, all of those things just don't work in my vocab. I'm the type of dad that will never allow my kids to win just because they're my kids. Right? It's just not going to happen. I don't think that's producing good kids right there. Right? That's that participation trophy thing. If my five-year-old girl wants to shoot a ball and I'm in the way, I'm going to block it and say, booyah. Like, that, that's going to be me to a T. Like, I am extremely competitive. I want to win, and sometimes I want to win at all costs. Now, I want to be candid with you, okay? Because there are some things that, like, in my, my flesh and by living by sight, I can start to consider as a defeat or some sort of upset or frustration. Back in March 2020, if you remember all the way back then, we were in this series called Intentional, Not Accidental. And we were doing this buildup of our vision for the next five years and all that God was going to do. And, and next thing you know, we, we had all these weeks and it was week five. And it was like that Friday before the Sunday that... Uh, COVID really came on strong, and also all the churches and all of my colleagues and, and other pastors were calling each other, talking to each other, are we going to have church, what are we going to do, da 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 and they're like, okay, what's going to happen to this vision, and everything just got kind of shut down, and I saw that through the eyes of my own flesh, through the eyes of living by sight as defeat. I was so frustrated. I got so full of anxiety in that season early on, and I started going, okay, What's it going to look like? How are we going to shepherd people? How are we going to reach people? Like, are we even going to have a church anymore? Do we even meet anymore? What do we do? Nobody's going to want to watch online. How do you know? Da, da, da. Like, all of these things started to play. 
And I know that I'm not immune to it because there was many people in the church going, you can't shut the doors, you got to open the door. No, you got to shut the doors. You know, it was just like, what are we doing? And it feels like a defeat in a lot of ways. But here's the deal. If we walk by sight, we'll look at the things of this life. We'll look at the externals and the circumstances. And if we're not walking by faith, we will see those things and logically or rationally conclude, yeah, that was a defeat. But if we live by faith, defeat is not a word in the vocabulary for faith. That's important for us to understand. If we live by faith, faith will only see things as a victory. Faith can only see things as a victory. Because faith only sees Jesus. That's important. We look at so many things externally. We look at our government, we look at our finances, we look at our schools, we look at our neighbors, we look at the trend of culture. We start to see how dark it is, how evil it is. We even see some of the things in our own lives and we start to look at all the things on the surface. And it's so easy then at that moment to conclude, that's not victory. How are we overcomers? How are we more than conquerors? But we don't live by sight. We live by faith. And our faith is that, that which overcomes the world because of Jesus who overcame the world. Faith only sees victory. And I want you to hear this, that this is not a health and wealth prosperity message. This is just biblical. I mean, if we look at like John 16, I love this verse that Jesus said to his disciples on the eve of going to the cross. His disciples are starting to feel some angst because Jesus is talking about his potential execution and that he's going to go away. And they're like, okay, what's going on? And Jesus in John 16, says, I've said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. Not in your circumstances and not in how you're going to work those circumstances, but in me you may have peace. In this world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have discouragements. You're going to have disappointments. You're going to have things in your life that look like an utter defeat, but they're not. In this world, you have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Scripture teaches us that God turns all things out for the good of those who love him. It teaches us in Romans 8, 37 through 8, that we are more than conquerors because of Jesus. That we overcome the world by our faith in Jesus. If we live by sight, we would look at the cross and see it as a great defeat. We would see the cross as great foolishness. But if we walk and live by faith, we see the cross with joy and life. Sight sees suffering and persecution and hardship as defeat. Faith sees it as an opportunity to showcase Jesus. Sight sees sacrifice and surrender as weakness, whereas faith sees it as the very source of our strength. And so that's why we are starting this series, this vision series, making it clear and obvious that we need to be people who live by faith. We need to be all in. We can't live by sight. There is so much at stake, and I'm not being dramatic for, you know, appeal. This is just scriptural and biblical. This is why the church is here, to be the light and the salt of a dying and decaying world. 
This is why I do what I do. This is why you do what you do, hopefully, so that we can see Jesus made much of. And for people to see Jesus. So if we live by faith, I want to encourage you to write this down. I should have had this as a note. But if we live by faith, friends, listen, we can only walk and we can only live on conquered ground. And I'm going to show you why I say that. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. Now, a quick background of this letter to, the second letter to Corinthians. This church in Corinth was a messed up church. They had so many issues. So many issues. They had great sexual morality, but, but the reality is a lot of these folks were pagans and they lived in a hypersexual culture and they became Christian. They had a hard time learning how to let go of some of those pasts as they were coming to the church. There was all sorts of idolatry. There was all sorts of divisiveness and, and gossip. And then they got to the point where it's like they loved Paul, but then other people were starting to come called the super apostles. Like, I'm the super apostle. Anyway, like ADD right there, sorry. Like, they just started to come in, and there were great preachers and great orators, and, and people were like, oh, my goodness, like, listen to this guy. This guy's a great preacher. I'm going to listen to his sermons online, and whoa, I like this. And they started to gravitate towards those that looked really good on the outside that could kind of command attention, those who seemed to be, like, strong and proper, um, uh, prosperous from the world perspective. And they saw Paul, they started to hear about Paul's weakness and his struggles, and they're like, well, he's not actually not a great teacher. He talks about coming in fear and trembling, and even he said that he didn't come in eloquence and persuasive speech. He talks about his sufferings, he talks about his defeat, he talks about his anxiety. Man, I don't want to follow a guy like that. But the reality is, is that all of these other people that were coming and preaching the gospel, they were kind of misleading the church in a lot of ways. Some were teaching half-truths, some were watering it down because they didn't want to offend the people that they were hearing. And so Paul is a guy who is just feeling so much hurt. This church wounded Paul. This church hurt Paul. This church was dragging Paul under the bus. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, called out some sin. It's a heavy book started to deal with some issues in the church. And then Paul goes off on a missionary journey to Troas. And that's where verse 12 comes in, because it says that when I came to Troas to preach the gospel of Christ, even though a door was open for me in the Lord, my spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So what's going on in this scene? Paul is continuing preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he's in Troas, and God has opened up a door. In other words, this is like prime church plant harvest fields. Like big time revival is ready to happen. People are responding to the gospel. Great opportunities to serve and to minister there. But at the same time, Paul is full of anxiety and concern over the church in Corinth. He wants to know how the church has responded to the first letter. And he sent Titus to go find out. And he was expecting Titus to be back by now. But he's not there. So Paul, in the midst of like seeing God's work happening in Troas, he's feeling this anxiety about what's happening in Corinth. And so like from a worldly perspective, the fact that Paul would then leave Troas to go find out what's happening would be like, man, what's wrong with you? Do you not have enough faith? Why are you so full of anxiety? Is your faith weak and all this kind of stuff? 
I mean, this is a tension moment for him because what's surprising is what we hear in the next verse. I mean, like, these two verses, 12 and 13, just do not give us the emotional pain and angst that Paul is feeling. In chapter 7, we hear basically Paul was saying that he was so depressed over the state of the church. Like he, he couldn't even see the good that was happening there. His, his spirit was so anguished that even in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, when Paul was listing through all the things that he suffered, towards the end of that list was his daily anxiety over the churches. And the church in Corinth looked at Paul and said, you have anxiety as a pastor? We don't want to follow you. From the surface, this looks like a defeat. This looks like a pastor licking his wounds, like an apostle who doesn't have authority, which is exactly what the church in Corinth was saying. But then we get this shocking transition in verse 14. It is not what you expect to say. But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. This is a powerful verse full of imagery that doesn't land on our, our hearts because we don't understand what a triumphal procession looks like. We don't even understand all of the images and, and the symbolic meanings that are wrapped up into that. I mean, but Paul is immediately saying, but thanks be to God that what looks like a defeat on the outside isn't a defeat because, because of Jesus, I'm always following in the wake of his triumph or procession, which means if I'm walking by faith, that means I'm always walking and living on triumphal ground. Like, I, you need to grab hold of that. This is why it's so beautiful to commit to your heart to be all in. Because if you are all in and you're following Jesus and you're chained to the chariot, which I'm going to explain in a moment, you will be always walking in Christ's triumph. Always. If not always, Scripture is a liar. But thanks be to God. Always leads us. Every circumstance, every situation. I want us to grab hold of this imagery. And it, this imagery, it, it, it actually, it is a little, um, it doesn't sit well on our modern day sensibilities either. And it surely didn't for the 1500 church, or 15, the church in 1500 AD, nor did it land on the church in the first, second, and third century either. I'm gonna read to you a quote from William Barclay as he wrote, talked about what the Roman triumphal procession was and what it looked like, okay? In Paul's mind is the picture of a Roman triumph and of Christ as a universal conqueror. The highest honor which should be given to a victorious Roman general was a triumph. To attain it, a Roman general has to satisfy certain conditions. He must have been actually the commander-in-chief in the field. The campaign must have been completely finished, the region pacified, and the victorious troops had to have been brought home. 5,000 of the enemy, at least, must have been killed in one engagement. 
A positive extension of Roman territory had to be gained, a disaster retrieved, or an attack repelled. It had to be a victory over a foreign enemy and not a civil war. In the triumph of the procession, the victorious general marched through the streets of Rome to the capital in this following order. First came all of the state officials in the Senate, then came the trumpeters, then were carried the spoils taken from the captive conquered land, then came pictures of the land and models of the conquered citadels and, sh and ships. My brain immediately goes to those big balloons in the Macy Day Parade. I don't know why. There followed the white bull for the sacrifice which would be made. Then there walked the captive princes, the captive leaders, captive generals, and citizens in chains that were connected to the chariot, which were to be short, shortly flung into prison and executed at the end of the parade. This was the image that Paul is evoking. And further in this image were like a myriad of priests wafting around those like containers. Like you've seen these, like have you ever seen it like in an Orthodox Catholic church that had incense and it'd be walking around to be there. Like there was hundreds of priests that would be doing this all throughout the city. Everybody could smell the aroma of the incense. The processional was a slow moving deal that would take all day long. This is what's in Paul's mind. And the question and the challenge comes here. What role does Paul play in this scene? What role does Paul play? For many years, a lot of people tried to say, he, he, Paul is referencing himself as the priest who kind of had the incense because it says, like, we, we are a fragrant offering going up to the Lord. Some would say that he's a victorious soldier in the army of Jesus. Or he's riding co-pilot in the chariot with Jesus. But that is not what the text teaches. The grammatical style, the rest of the letter, makes it crystal clear that Paul is placing himself in the role as a captive prisoner of Jesus Christ. And that is really hard to people. Because they see that as defeat, as capitulation, as surrender. Do you know why you struggle about hearing the phrase all in? Because you don't want to. When I say, come to Jesus with your hands open and give him your predetermined yes, you're willing to negotiate and say, maybe I'll give you one hand. We don't want to wave the white flag. We don't want to surrender those rights. So when we hear the phrase all in, we go, that's fanaticism. Nope. That's the way of Christ. Paul looks at his circumstances and he realizes that he's victorious. He's more than a conqueror because he's willing to be chained to the chariot. He's willing to say, I am a slave of Christ Jesus. I'm a servant of Christ Jesus. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And because of that, he's going to lead me in his triumphal procession, even if it means the death of myself at the end of the parade. Well, that sounds oddly familiar. If any of you would follow me, says Jesus, you got to carry your cross. If you want to 
save your life and you want to hang on to your life, listen, you're going to lose your life. But if you want to find life, you've got to let it go. Paul sees himself, and consequently, every believer, consequently, the mission of the church as being God's captive led to our death. We don't like to hear that. That is a challenge to the core at every level. And Paul is not the one leading this triumphal procession. He's not the one who overcame the enemies. He's not the victor. He's, he's the prisoner of war. And he's gladly praising God that he was conquered by the love of Christ. But thanks be to God, he conquered me. And I'm his captive. I can't wait. This is powerful stuff. I mean, there was a time in Paul's life when he was an enemy of God's, just like you and I. And if you're not a believer in Christ Jesus, if you're not born again, you are still at war with God. You are still an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul was at war with Jesus. In fact, Paul was like intentionally at war with the gospel. He was killing and, and putting Christians on, on death row. Jesus came to defeat darkness and sin and death. And he did that by dying on the cross. He did that by resurrecting on the third day. And he did that by ascending to heaven. He triumphed over all of them. And he conquered Paul. He met Paul on the Damascus Road. And Paul was conquered by the love of Christ. Paul would say it this way too. He's speaking of the gospel in Ephesians chapter 2. And you were dead in your sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you were an enemy of God's. You were an object of God's wrath. In verse 4, but God who's rich in mercy, he saved us by grace. So friends, listen. When we look at the cross and we talk about being all in, we talk about being chained to the chariot. Listen, we have to remind ourselves that we need to be conquered by the love of Christ. One of the phrases I love to just remind myself over and over and over is, Brandon, you gotta preach the gospel to yourself. Like, I gotta remember who I was apart from Christ and all that God has done for me. Mission is most effective when it's being compelled or controlled by the love of Christ, not out of coercion or religious guilt, but out of love. We have to be conquered by the love of Christ because the reality is, and this is a tough reality, but it's reality. You are a slave to something. You are either a slave to sin and death or you are a slave to Christ Jesus and his righteousness. One or the other. There is no uh, middle ground. There is no neutral ground. No, no, no. I, I choose things on my own. I'm not a slave to sin. Really? Can you fight temptation every time and be victorious all the time? Like you might even have a modicum of self-control in your own life, but the reality is apart from Jesus, there's an eternal life that's waiting. And if you're not in Christ Jesus, that eternal life is apart from him in hell. Romans 6 paints this picture. I'd encourage you to study it. Romans 6, it's like, listen, 
If you offer your members of your body to something, you are a slave to that thing that you offer yourself to. it. It's either going to be to sin, the deeds of the flesh that lead to death, or to righteousness. And this is the image that Paul is giving us as the church. He's basically saying, he's like, I'm going to be in chains one way or the other. I know what life was like apart from Christ. I remember even, like, I love how Tim said that. It's like, I, I was, you know, I, I, I was a believer in Jesus at a young age, but there were seeds into my life when I wasn't there. I remember that, and it was often more like, I got to try to be good enough. I got to try to have enough faith. I got to try, I got to go to church and all this kind of stuff. And the reality is, I was a slave to sin. I wasn't conquered by the love of Christ. I didn't surrender to the love of Christ. But Paul is, is saying, like, but because of the love of Christ, like, I am willingly willing to be captive, chained to the chariot of Jesus. And wherever he goes, I'm walking on conquered land. It's always a victory with Jesus. It's always overcoming with Jesus. Because he did it, not us. Our job isn't to get victory. Our job isn't to triumph. Our job is to believe in Jesus and consequently then to surrender our rights to him, to die to self, to reckon yourself dead to sin, to consider yourself dead to the old ways of the world, the old ways of thinking. You're dead to those things. You're not enslaved to those things. You've been freed from those things. Apart from Jesus, you don't have that choice. You are just enslaved to sin and death. Paul says this in multiple places. 1 Corinthians 15, 31. Simple little phrase. I die every day. I die every day. That's preaching the gospel to yourself. That's remembering that the life you now live is the life that he lives. That's that Galatians 2.20 verse that Paul even writes later. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. But thanks be to God, what looks like a defeat to the world, even myself, because I choose to see it by the eyes of faith, it's not a defeat. Thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You can only be led in triumphal procession if you are chained to his chariot. And friends, that's being all in. That's choosing to die daily. And as we do that, the world sees Christ on display. We become conquered by his love. We get captivated by the love of Christ. And then this picture of being the fragrance of God, which is pleasing to God, is true. We are spreading the knowledge of him everywhere. And to some, some like the smell. Some hate the smell. 
I have so many gross illustrations, and I'm not going to go there. In a home, there are some smells that you like, and there are some smells that you don't like. But Paul's like, listen, who is equal to such a task that my life is an aroma of Jesus, and to some, yes, to some, it's going to be the smell of death. They're going to hate it. But to some, it's going to be the aroma of life. Paul wasn't worried about if his smell pleased people. He just knew that his fragrance, his aroma, by being chained to the chariot was pleasing to God, and that's all that mattered. Do you know when we start to fear people and when we start to back away from the mission is when we don't want to offend people. And we don't want to offend people because, quite frankly, we don't want to offend ourselves. So as we conclude, I want you to hear this. We experience victory in surrender. We go all in when we willingly choose to be chained to his chariot. Thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. I think of Hebrews chapter 11 and 12. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, because if they don't, I'll keep talking. Hebrews 11 and 12. In chapter 11, is this list of the people that, in church circles, we say the hall of faith. By faith, Abraham. By faith, Moses. By faith, Sarah. By faith, by faith, by faith. And there's this whole second half of people. We don't even know their names. By faith, some were sawn in two. Now, let's talk about the faith of Moses again. Faith, many were killed and persecuted and martyred, blasphemed, ridiculed. And the scripture says that the world is not even deserving of them. The world looks at them and says, defeat. God sees them as a pleasing aroma, smells them as a pleasing aroma. And then chapter 12 comes, it says, since therefore we have such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off every weight and every sin that entangles and run the race that's marked out for us. So yes, church, our challenge to you in this season is be all in. Jesus was all in. He was all in for you. There was not one thing he withheld. God sent his one and only son who knew no sin to be sin for us. He took the shame. He was beaten, mocked, spat upon, nailed to a cross, naked for the world to see. He was all in. Wrestled with God in the garden agonizing, knowing what's waiting for him there at Golgotha, 
knowing what's coming and pleading with God and asking him in that moment of vulnerability, God, if there's another way, but not my will, your will. He was all in. And because of that, he disarmed and dismantled the powers and principalities that enslaved us so that we could have freedom to choose to be chained to the love of Christ. We respond by saying, Lord, I'm all in. Today, tomorrow, the next day, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me, I die to self every day. So Lord, I thank you for your word. I ask that in these final moments that your spirit would speak to our hearts in ways that we need you to. Lord, I ask that you would take my words and turn it into an arrow to pierce our hearts. It's alive and active, Lord. It's not my words, but it's your word and it's your authority. It's your power. It's your grace. It's your truth. This is your church. Lord, I ask that we would take that next step in surrender. Lord, we all have things that we know we're willingly and deliberately saying no to. Some of it may be a confession of sin, or some of it might just be simply, I don't want to be part of a small group in a community. Whatever it is. Lord, help us to be mindful and, and, and remembering that you're not chained to our chariot. You're not an accessory to our life. We're not riding shotgun with you in the chair. We're not a backseat chariot driver. We are chained. We are a prisoner of war, captured by your love. So Lord, I ask that we would respond out of that. Stir our faith up, strengthen our faith. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give us a greater glimpse and taste of the love of Christ. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Stand together. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back.
Amen. I want to give you an opportunity, if you have any burden for prayer, to, to not wait. Don't delay. Uh, any pastor, small group leader, uh, any, any pastor in here, come up down to the front. You'll help uh, be a spot for people to pray, pray for. I'll be down here in a minute. Uh, it's important for you to know uh, that coming forward for prayer is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of strength and surrender and dependence. And it's not just for first-time believers. Uh, it could be, uh, you could have a praise. You could have something you're so thankful that God did. Someone shared a testament with me after first service of God sparing his family's life yesterday in the car. And he's like, yes, would you pray for me in that? So if you have a burden, if you have a need, if you have a health crisis, if you have a financial crisis, whatever your burden is, come and be prayed for. Let us, let us pray together. If you have something you want to praise God for, come forward, share that testimony, and we'll pray. If you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit from the teaching of the Word and, and you want to jump in, you want help finding what next steps are, come forward. Let us pray about that too. But anyone, now you're welcome to. I'll, I'm going to pray and then I'll dismiss us in a moment. But anyone that has any need of prayer, come. Two last things before I pray. Uh, once, once I say amen, you'll be dismissed. And I want to encourage you to continue on in worship and to see it as such uh, in the returning of your tithe and the giving of your offerings. It's a, an acceptable sacrifice of praise unto the Lord. And then last thing, I want to invite you for anyone who wants to stay after for lunch. We're going to be meeting in the triple room. It's back here. And it's, uh, it's our sweet Roman Faye, our daughter. Uh, she turned nine. Today is her birthday. Happy birthday, Roman. Yeah, happy birthday, Roman. So Roman will be back there, and she's great. But uh, you don't have to be new. You could just come. What you do is go grab food and then come meet us back there. We'll just fellowship together and hang out. Let's pray. God, we love you. We're so thankful for your son. What an awesome God you are. What an amazing thing that you have done to allow us to be reconciled to you through the blood of Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that you would help us as individuals and as a church to learn what it means and be obedient to what it means to be all in for you, God, to, to die to ourselves daily, to carry our cross, and to, to join you in your suffering and know that you always, always bring the victory, Lord, and it's, it is through your Son, Jesus. And so give us hope, Lord. Give us great faith that is sourced from knowing the end and knowing the victor, Jesus Christ. God, I pray for any person here with a burden. Lord, would you just prompt them to be prayed for? Let us, let us be a body of Christ where we would bear one another's burdens together. We would celebrate with one another. We would mourn with one another. We would shoulder each other's burdens together. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your son, and we praise you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week.